Welcome to Masters of Color, brought to you by LowPost.com and Ravengrade.com. I'm your host, Cullen Kelly, and my guest today is Damien Vanderkruzen, senior colorist at Harbor Picture Company. Damien is a phenomenal artist at the very top of his field, and he's done some of my favorite grades of the last few years, including Uncut Gems and The Last Black Man in San Francisco. We had a fantastic conversation about the creative, technical, and psychological aspects of our craft, and I learned a ton from speaking to him. This episode is sponsored by Pixelview.io, a streaming solution built by colorists for colorists. Emailing files to your clients for review and getting written comments back can be a hassle. With color, it's often easier to show than to tell. Pixelview provides a high-quality live feed of your grade, as well as a built-in video chat, making it easy to try different looks together and create a collaborative environment. You can use promo code MASTER to get a 15% discount on a hardware encoder at pixelview.io. In the meanwhile, let's dive into my conversation with Damien Vanderkruzen. How's your morning going? Pretty good so far. What about you? It's pretty early for you, isn't it? It is early. I, I get my, my best work done at this hour, and I, I am happy to be taking a break from grading and seeing if I and everyone listening can't learn a thing or two from you. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. Well, man, Damien, such a pleasure to be speaking with you this morning. And uh, for those of us who don't know you and your work, uh, you're currently a senior colorist at Harbor Picture Company. And you've got an incredible body of work that I can only list a couple of uh, particular favorites from because it's so big. Um, Uncut Gems, The Devil All the Time with Tom Holland, uh, It Comes at Night, The Beguiled, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and then tons of commercial stuff as well for Lincoln, Calvin Klein, L'Oreal, the list goes on and on. So uh, you've got an incredible body of work and uh, such a, a sense of, uh, of taste and uh, like an interesting methodology that you bring to your work. So really excited to be chatting with you about how you have developed yourself creatively and professionally uh, over uh, the last many years that you've been doing this. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So how did you get your start in color, Damien? Well, I started, uh, I went to cinema school. I wanted to be a, to be a DP, first of all. Um, I was always attracted by visuals. And uh, I realized when I was uh, at cinema school, I went to, uh, to the lab to do my uh, a little uh, training, like three, three weeks in the lab, and I discovered color grading. Uh, I wanted to do my thesis on color, you know, color interaction and perception and color changes uh, in camera. And you know, it was the very beginning of like color, color grading. And after school, I, there was an opening in a post-production house called Micros Image, where they were looking for a telecine assistant. So I started there uh, figuring that, you know, I would still learn the craft of grading and still be able to apply that to, uh, to being a DP. And then sure enough, like after a year, I was hooked and didn't want to go back to DPing because I thought I was more useful to the community and uh, the industry as being a, you know, having an understanding of the lighting as a DP uh, in a training, but also being able to communicate with DPs instead of like being another DP, being more like a collaborator and being able to understand that. And it was still the very beginning of color grading, I feel, 
like we, we were not that many, but we also had a lot of like cars were there by accident, you know, they were like, didn't know what the craft was about. And I was always passionate about, you know, color and lighting. So I, I fell in love with it. Oh, that's so cool. And it, it's so cool that you come to it from that uh, photographic and cinematography background. And uh, I, I think as we know and, and have discovered with uh, the continued growth of color grading as a craft is it's so important to be able to bring that skill set and that perspective that cinematographers bring to the image authorship process, but really kind of like collaborate with them in being the shepherd and the guardian of the image all the way from the light that's hitting the sensor all the way out to what's actually being reproduced uh, on screen. So it's a as, as we know, such a cool black art that uh, has such a huge role to play when uh, it's, it's well applied to the process. Absolutely. I think we, we're here to help them, filmmakers, because sometimes it's a bit still a little obscure to them. Like, well, how do you convert from digital to you know, the, the processing and all the different lookup tables that you apply and all different uh, displays? So we, we help to guide them and say, hey, uh, you know, this this sensor or this exposure, maybe we should try it differently. And I think mean, it's, it's very important for us to be, to be available and involved very early in the, in the process of any, any production. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that really leads me to one of the things I'm most excited to ask you about, which is, you know, in your role, I, I really see you as having uh, taken up the role of uh, being a leader in that space of figuring out how to uh, be a guide and uh, a support to cinematographers and filmmakers as we navigate this transition from traditional photochemical workflows, which were very kind of rigid. It's like mm -hmm. it's going to be captured this way and reproduced in one of a handful of ways. And the amount of manipulation that we have available to us kind of in between is quite finite, where now we've got this much broader canvas, but we have to somehow marry the best of that almost centuries worth of photochemical tradition to this massively, uh, you know, this massive canvas that we have now, but still figuring out how to kind of get the best of both worlds. So I'd love to hear how you think about and approach sort of at the macro level, uh, your look development process and, and how you uh, work with your collaborators on that. Yeah, I mean, usually uh, more and more I, I'm involved from the very beginning. So I read the script, uh, the minute is a DP or director and they reach out, we, uh, we start talking uh, very early on. I think uh, what's essential for me is being, being involved part of the, the process from the very first test. And we look at it, we look at the lenses and then we, you know, usually come up with uh, a few different versions that you're gonna, you know, get finesse that until we end up with a show lot. Um, I think it's important to have like references, but also see what's in the material and with the cinematography. I mean, every every movie is unique. I think so. I always try to not repeat myself and start from scratch, pretty much. I mean, we all have habits and like stuff we like to do, but it's also that's why. I, always give like you know what at least five different uh lots as initial show lots and then we we change them and we uh we do it until we're happy with uh what's going to be filmed and i think it's important to see it with location with uh hair and makeup tests different combo of lens and camera so every every movie is unique so that's why i always start fresh 
Very cool. So you're, you're kind of starting from zero and, and sounds like uh, trying to be very sensitive to the, the, the lensing and the wardrobe and the talent and the palette and everything that's being given to you and, and using that to sort of sculpt a custom look, uh, you know, without too many assumptions and you're, you're not grabbing Damien's favorite LUT and just slapping it <laughs> onto every project. I mean, it's clear when we look at your work, like every, every, uh, frame that I've ever seen of your work reflects that sensitivity and that desire to take a unique approach with every single project you tackle. Thank you. Um, well, that's so cool. And I'm also curious to hear, what do you feel like the, what's the relationship or the balance between like, okay, it's time to start grading and we're going to do shot level grading and maybe this shot needs a, a point of cyan or we need to trim the exposure a little bit versus what we started this conversation with a moment ago of like that macro like look that mm -hmm. everything is going to live underneath. What is the balance of the relationship between those things for you as an artist? Well, I mean, the, the exciting part of the process is the macro level for me. It's like real building the look, the environment. Because I think, again, it's like we, we do a unique project and we want that world to be as unique as possible. And when it comes to match grading, you know, the, the shot by shot thing is still very important. Uh, I think I try always try to keep it simple first. We start the first pass with printer lights. Um, if, if you have a good show lot, um, that's all you should need and use as a first pass. Uh, don't go too deep into vignettes and windows. You don't need all the secondaries. And, and it's also how you should learn to grade is, you know, be able to read and balance a, an image just by printer lights. Always go back to the, to the basics, keep it simple. Um, and, and if there's a problem, if it's a mismatch, then that's when you start using all the tools that we have at our, disposal. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's so interesting to hear you talk about because, you know, I, again, I, I see you as being uh, on the forefront of uh, this sort of contemporary digital intermediate and color grading craft and uh, really a leader in that space. But you're talking about a workflow that sounds really, really similar at its foundation to what color timers did for 80 years before we existed as colorists, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's, even though we, we can do so much more, it, it's like Photoshop times, you know, 20, yeah. if you want it to be, but you, you have to remember, you have to do a thousand shots and you're also dealing with filmmakers that don't have the, maybe sometimes the patience or the, the they're not interested in, you know, changing the look that much. They, they are here to, make it look as good as possible in their mind. It's not like a reinventing the, every shot. You don't need to relight. It's like, to me, it's sacrifice. You know, it's like if someone brings you the footage and you start putting 20 windows on a shot, that means, um, that means I'm doing something wrong. Unless someone tells me, well, this one, I'm, we really need fixing. And then we can dive in. We can really change it if we want to. But to me, if I, if I have to do a window on a shot, it, it feels like, you know, something's off after, after five, six windows where like, it's better sometimes you also, if you're setting a look and you realize that you're using a lot of keys and stuff like that, sometimes I'd rather, you know, save that, bank it and start from scratch. And sometimes you'll get there in, in one layer, you know, it's like once you know, because you've, you've done like a, a journey, you've, you've traveled through and you go, a lot of layers will counteract each other. 
So it's better to start fresh and re redo it. Sometimes you get better results. That totally <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you, you're, so much of what you're talking about, I'm, I'm thinking back to uh, my first few years as a colorist and some of the oversights or mistakes that maybe I made. And, and I mean, you're, you're nailing on a lot of them. And one of them I think is like, oh, well, I've come this far. I can't do a teardown. I can't go back, you know, but you're so, yeah. that's so powerful when you do do that of saying like, now that I understand where this needs to go and I can see visually roughly what I'm looking for, how can I get this like simpler and cleaner just by kind of resetting and trying it again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, very, very uh, cool stuff in terms of that look dev process. And uh, I, I think that's, you know, it, it, it's always interesting and, uh, to hear uh, from really skilled colorists who are talking about the, how much of their creative like uh, process and how much of the creative joy they get from what they do coming from that big macro level as opposed to like, you know, when you're getting your flow shot by shot, that's so critical, of course. But, mm -hmm. you know, getting that, that overall look and that overall sort of bed for everything to lie in and like, all right, where is my, where are my teals going to go? And like, what am I going to do with my skin tones? And what's the contrast ratio? And where's the peak black or the peak white point and the, you know, deepest black and all that stuff? Like, it's something that I hear so often from uh, the colorists I really admire that like, those are, that's such a huge part of the decision-making process or the, uh, the, the, the creativity, I should say, of what we do. And I think, again, like as you were talking about it, I'm thinking back to my first few years working in color and just that, that, that's, not an in, that's not something that's necessarily intuitive to all of us, I don't think. No, and I think, again, going back to, to the lab, I think we colorists now, digital colorists, we're still the lab. We're still here to process stock and, you know, web. Look, development is like coming up with a new stock that no one has done before. Basically, we're, we're the new Kodaks where we can, we can make up a lot per show, which is, which is quite amazing. But it's, it's also one reason why I usually try to stick to one show lot because, you know, it's, you, you do have movies that, you know, need different show lots where the same way you could use different film stocks for, you know, for a purpose. But usually I think the world will be more, more cohesive if you, you know, get into that same mold, same, same show lot. And then, you know, per sequence, you'll, you'll get a little modifier, but it's, it's, uh, it's a lot more interesting to work like that and make sure when you hand something over, it's not going to work on one shot. It's, it's going to apply to a lot of different settings like interior, exterior. If, if it works at night, it's even better, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's tricky because if you, it's also one, like there's something to say about pushing that lot too far. You know, it's like don't don't deliver something that's you know too contrasty and you know that's not going to be uh, something workable for on set for DP because then they'll have to change the lighting for every every shot just because that lot is so contrasty. It's like it's almost like too it becomes too difficult for them to deal with. Um, yeah. So, my show lots tend to be a little more flexible, a little softer. And then, you know, in, in the CDL, you can add contrast. And, you know, basically, uh, if you have a lot of smoke or not, you know, it's like, it's still going to work. That makes a lot of sense. And that, that, that kind of answers what was going to be my next question of like, do you tailor either a CDL or a modified version of the show lot for, for example, 
night exteriors versus day interiors. But it sounds like you kind of keep that overall Shola just a little more mellow and then rely on CDLs if it's like, all right, we actually could use some extra contrast in this scene or shot or setting. We'll do that via a CDL or, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. When I did uh, a show lot uh, recently where, you know, DP didn't know if it rated at 32 or 56. So we actually, we built that show lot to be like 4,500 and it worked for both. So in the CDL, we could warm it up or cool it down uh, depending on, on the scene. But it was like, because it's also like a lot of like back and forth between interior and exterior, it was useful for him to have that kind of middle, middle ground lookup table that it didn't you know you can change a lot in the middle of the shot so <laughs> has yeah. to look for both environments oh that's so cool i, I mean I, I, we're, we're we're spending a lot of time on this topic but I, I just think it's so fascinating that like there's aspects of that you know again we're talking about in the photochemical tradition it would be almost unheard of to print to more than one stock mm -hmm. i mean that would yeah. be I, i'm not sure i've ever heard of such a thing and when you think about the practice at the time, it's probably like you could see that as a limitation. Like, man, I would love to mix up the palette here, but I'm really mm -hmm. of the opinion that for everything that you just, the, the reasons that you just gave, it's like that actually ends up really unifying and like strengthening the overall feeling of the film because you're making manipulations underneath, but it's like at the end of it, it's all going to hit that same curve, that same colorimetry and really unify and put everything into a pocket. Yeah. Very cool. All right. I want to ask you about working with clients because, you know, already what you've started talking about and, and uh, so much of what you've expressed your passion and creativity goes into when you're doing a grade and prepping a look and creating show lets, that's complex stuff, man. Like there's a lot of colorists who uh, aren't fully up on this. And I put myself in that category of like just getting literate in, in like the look development process and really utilizing all of the power and the tools that we have available to us. And then I think even more so with the average filmmaker who's not spending all day, every day in the dark color cave exploring these things, how do you translate what you're doing and what you might even be collaborating with uh, your in-house color science team? How do you translate all that into concepts and like language that's meaningful and understandable to the folks that you work with? Um, I think it's, it's a visual art. So most of the time it's by, by showing them, uh, playing with footage and experimenting together. Uh, I usually, if I, if I have the answer before they walk in the room and they have doubts, I think it's always better to, to show and, you know, have that conversation. So always, so collaboration, always between filmmakers and, and us, uh, we are, we have that technical aspect with, you know, color science on our, on our side. We can, you can say, well, this is, we shouldn't do that, but it's also good to show them. Uh, and, and what are, you know, if you, if you reach a point where it, the, the image is breaking or it's going to work fine on one display, but not the other, it's like, you have to, to show that to different clients and say, well, listen, we're, we're going too far here. Let's, let's, step back a little bit, the intention's the same, but at least uh, we're in a world where everyone's gonna ha be happy at the end. And that's what we want. We, we wanna make sure that, you know, that experience we're having in the room is not gonna be all of a sudden destroyed because uh, 
that one that one scene didn't translate to another display and we didn't tell them when we were in the room so that's it's something that i always try to be very careful when we go to dog to say hey guys you just need to make sure that this translates in every other medium and you know we'll all be happy when it airs yeah. <laughs> which is it's tricky because i i tend to work on very uh, very dark uh dark stuff and uh, it's always tricky to to get into these night scenes where you know we don't see much <laughs> yeah i mean i i think i heard someone recently describing uh some of the uh, night work and uncut gems specifically as on a knife edge of like, you're, you're right at that sweet spot where like, man, another eighth of a stop, another 16th of a stop, and it's not going to read anymore, but you're at this really beautiful place that, I mean, it made me think of like Gordon Willis and some of my favorite cinematographers mm -hmm. and filmmakers of the photochemical era. That's like, that's such a wonderful place to like find the bullseye for, but it's, I feel like even more challenging today because you do have uh, the multiple displays aspect of it. And I mean, actually that leads me to a great question. Like how do you like for in, in a situation like that where you're like, yeah, we want to go dark. We want to really find the edge of something. How do you evaluate whether or not you've gotten there when you have more than one ultimate target? You pray. <laughs> yeah oh i think um in a way i think hdr might help us there because there's better dynamic i think modern displays can can go we have deeper blacks now available which helps um so i'm i'm banking on that also know that you know below 10 percent, you have to be very careful and always have a little detail so it's finding writing at fine line between contrast and, and darkness because I think uh, you sometimes you want to push the contrast a little more, but it's also like it makes it more video-y. So stay filmic, bend that curve, but also make sure there's a little bit of black. So there's you know separation between the deep shadows and the pure black. Um, don't you know? I'll, I tend not to have like zero zero black everywhere, but have a little. A little point sometimes just to help like separate and it's it's tricky you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna yeah. lie it's it's the most challenging things are like those night scenes i, I, I think. mean you're, you're you're so clearly talking about the 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 like master brush strokes of of what it is that uh we do and uh in your case what separates you from most of the people doing this work of just that extra little sensitivity and eye to detail of like let's do a little pool of like pure black over here but you know like the overall kind of feeling of the contrast ratio and where that black point is like yeah i mean that's that's tricky stuff man it's it's that's such a such a such a specific muscle to develop yeah i think again it comes with experience and watching different movies as you said gordon willis is you know master and so watching these movies are you know a, a great reference and you you know that you can go quite far I mean, these these filmmakers were very bold and with, yes uh, <laughs> we tend to forget that with digital because you you're used to having so much detail in the picture and that's something you know sometimes it's just better to hide it you know i i know that uh we we always uh was it go brighter on, on the face but sometimes you you kind of want to you want the light to make it an effect and an impression is sometimes better reached if you uh if you go Go boulder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. 
And so the, the, one of, another question that popped into my head as you were talking is, are you a, if you're doing an HDR uh, deliverable, are you a grade the SDR and then do the HDR as a trim type of artist or do you do it the other way around? It depends on the job, uh, really. Um, it used to be you know, SDR to HDR trim, just because we're doing P3 first. The last projects I've done were HDR first. And I, I think this enables a new creative tool, honestly, that we still have to, uh, to use a little more. I, I was on the side of like, I wanted to match my SDR as much as possible. Uh, on a recent project, we, uh, I expanded that uh, to reach like higher nits level, uh, which I think is interesting, but also it's, uh, it's a lot harder I found to work in HDR uh, grading wise because, because of the, the amount of like the highlights go quite high and it's, it's harder to keep a uh, contrast ratio that's the same shot by shot. I think I found it a little harder to grade. Yeah. So, you know, one trick for me was to also always compare to my SDR, not the Dolby analysis, but just the straight conversion to see how I was tracking my show. So basically you're doing, you know, two versions uh, at the same time, but at least you maintain that HDR to, to match better. Because it's, I found it all, um, easier to, to drift in HDR. Yes, I know what you, I mean, it's a, there, there's, there's more, it's a bigger space to, that, that you can drift in mm -hmm. any direction in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very interesting. Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm curious now, like we've already talked several times about kind of figuring out where is, whether it's with like contrast or exposure or any other characteristic that you're putting into your grade or baking into a LUT, kind of finding that sweet spot of like, how far do we want to go? How far is too far? And how far is not bold enough? And uh, it makes me think about something else I really admire in your work, which is that all of it has like incredibly consistent polish and like flow to it, but it never feels overgraded. It never feels like you got to where it needed to go and then did something that I feel like I do all the time. I'm like, I do more. And then I go back a week later. I'm like, oh, dude, you should have just walked away. You were done and you, you, you overcooked it. You know, how do you think about that at all? How do you negotiate that balance? Um, yeah, I, I think about it by trying to, yeah, it's, you gotta be careful not to overcook. I mean, I always tend to same than the show lot in a way as I, I tend to present something and I know, but it's kind of the opposite of what you said about my work, but I <laughs> try to be soft about it and, you know, go step by step. Um, sometimes I know a lot of people would like to see options that are quite extreme. Mm -hmm. I, I tend to do more point level, you know, changes um, just because I, if the client walks in the room with the offline in mind, you know, you, you start with that CDL and like the, Picture ref is what they've seen for the long, longest time. So I've been sitting that, with that picture for like four months maybe. So you don't want to start with options that are, you know, miles apart. You, and you can do, you know, point here, point there. If you feel like you're not getting there, if you're, it's a, it's a gut. I mean, it's like my interpretation can be wrong. So that's why sometimes I, I have that on the, on the side and I can present that as an idea. But it's, it's more like, collaboration again it's like you know, these guys 
know what's wrong with the movie or that scene in particular if they're not happy with it. So they'll ask me to find something. Uh, and, and that's when I can feel free to, you know, present options and, and go bold or wild if I want to. But knowing when to stop is difficult. Um, it's, it's just, I guess, um, my, you know, sensitivity I guess yeah. <laughs> I know I know when it's not, I, I try not to I never try to put a stamp or my my imprint on a project because again it's it's the project it's it should be its world if a filmmaker asks me to go crazy uh, I can I know how to do it and I can show them crazy um, which is always fun yeah. but most of the time I'll try to be you know safe and you know have have something that, that fits the, the story. I, I don't like when the grade is distracting. And I think a lot of times um, I, I find a mismatch between a bold grade and, and the universe or story, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to be careful about that. And I, again, it's not, it's, um, yeah, I don't think a movie has to have a look. You know, it's like, it's a universe, it's a palette but never, never overdo it. I think it's better to go on the gentle side, but. <laughs> That's another like, I mean, what a weird, I, I used the term muscle earlier, but like that's, that's just what that sounds like to me is like that's a very particular like muscle or skill that you've built up of just that sensitivity to be like, that's it. Or like, nope, that's a little nuts. Or like, we can go a little further here. Like that, that's just, such a unique thing to cultivate over time. And it sounds like you feel like you've developed that just by grading lots of material and looking at lots of images over the years. Yes, I'd say that, you know, starting with commercial work helped me in that because you get to work on, you know, hundreds of jobs a year and also tend to see a lot of different, like a comedy or drama or like something more epic or natural. You get all the styles. Uh, whereas if you start for right away, if you start working on features, it's difficult, I think, because you're, you're in for a longer period of time and you also don't get to experience those like fast pace and like a lot of different windows. So the, the commercial helps you train a muscle of like, the speed, the efficiency, knowing the tools um, and different different options available. Because that's one thing that I are not in commercial. They, they tend to prefer having like five different looks when they walk in the room. Whereas on, on a movie, you kind of want to stick to what's in the offline and have those options available, but stick to what's been shot. Uh, commercial is kind of the opposite. Sometimes they, they like options and they like going back to like reinvent the world and you're like, well, this is what you shot. It's, it's kind of the opposite. It's our job to put them back on track and say, hey, let's, uh, let's, keep, let's keep it to what's been shot. But also, you know, always be in for the fun and like see what the, what the room with uh, every person involved in the project is willing to do. It's like sometimes they, they do want to change because they're not completely satisfied with what's been shot. So it's our job to take it into a different place and we have to know how to do it. Oh, that's so cool. I, I, I'm going to write that one down. It, like the, that idea of like <laughs> with commercials that a, a big part of it is often like just bringing people back to home base of like, Hey, here's what you shot. It's beautiful. Let's lean into that. Mm -hmm. and not yeah. like completely reconstitute it uh, just because we can. 
Um, would you say you feel like everything you just shared about commercials versus, versus feature grading, is that kind of the fundamental, the fundamental differences for you bet between those two media? Um, well, I often see it, yeah, as a, if I were a musician, commercial would be improv and, and a feature would be, you know, orchestra or you, you've, you're playing a score, uh, but you've rehearsed and you, you know, the partition very well. And, you know, you know, sometimes you can, you know, interpret differently, but you, you have something uh, and everyone knows uh, how to play it. Commercial, you have a draft and you're more free to, to go left or right. Uh, but sometimes you also know, you know, the tune, it's like, it could be, could be a cover and you just, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know this tune. I know this song. Um, but you know, it's like, as a chorist, you have very little time to rehearse on a commercial. It's like every day is a new job and you have to play it and there's only one take <laughs> most of the time. You know, it's like, okay, we got three hours for a commercial, 30 seconds, let's do it. Um, on a feature, you have more time, but because you've, you've been involved from the very beginning of the process, it's also, we, we have, a We've played a part from the beginning where everyone's on the same page and at the end, everyone's there to, you know, just do the final details. It's, it's quite a different, you know, approach. And I, I love balancing from one to another because it can be very exhausting to work on a feature and frustrating sometimes to be on a commercial. So it's like, keep try to, try to have it a little bit of both is, is great. Oh, what a, what a great analogy playing in the orchestra versus, uh, uh, improv that makes total sense. And yeah, I, that, that, that seems that that also makes sense that it's, it can be really sort of, uh, invigorating and refreshing to toggle in between those modes as opposed to being stuck in one, uh, all day, every day. Um, yeah. when you're doing commercials, how does your, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of deploying secondaries as a secondary you know, or an alternative option uh, in the context of features. Is it the same way for you for commercials? How do secondaries and windows and qualifiers and all that stuff work for you when you're uh, doing short form advertising? Well, in commercials, it's also, you have more of a, you know, the Pantone, you have to respect this. There's already a color scheme that's been set. So all the secondaries are more for that. You know, it's like you kind of have to play with, you know, the, the, uh, product color in a way and you know that's why I usually save my secondaries or you know they shoot one it's like it's it's um I'd say yes overall uh to answer your question sorry uh, <laughs> I I will also try to do film grade and you know video grade uh keep it simple first and then get the secondaries after for everything that you know is uh, it's more you know very small detail oriented in commercial and you know rarely do that on on a feature where you have to do like a two pixel window on a on it or something but it's you know again like we have the tools we can do it and it's it's fun to be able to do and go that far and you know, manipulating the the picture so it's uh it's always uh it's always interesting you're like oh yeah you've seen this <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I always find it so interesting, like, when I find myself in that uh, rare condition of, like, I haven't done anything but long form for, like, a month or whatever, or, like, I've been doing nonstop commercial stuff and really haven't had a chance to get into longer form narrative. It's funny when you switch between those because it is, like, 
they're like, oh, okay, all these tools that I kind of has set aside and gone like, those are last resort or like, those are just not efficient or not supportive of what I'm trying to do here. It, it feels like the rules change in terms of like the go-to tools above and beyond that base layer of just, all right, here's my contrast exposure balance type mm -hmm. stuff. Like from there, it seems like the, the roads fork a little bit in terms of uh, the most useful or the most commonly needed tools to accomplish your goals in those different uh, mediums. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, in commercial, you tend to put a lot more windows uh, just because of the, the, the amount of like, you don't have that many shots. So we're, we're trying to sculpt every, every shot into, uh, into a perfect image. Uh, in doing that, I feel like sometimes you lose perspective of like, you know, sometimes it's not like about putting 10 windows again, you can just bring down the exposure and you fix everything. It's like, because, you know, you have a client saying, well, you know, just bring this down and then this top left corner and then top right corner. It's like, you end up bringing everything down or just put a window on the face and you fix it. I mean, it's like, you know, again, like accumulation of windows is not always the answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm so curious to know, like, is that something that you uh, ever try to share or discuss when you're, uh, I mean, really in either form with, with commercials or features, if you feel like a grade is going in a less than ideal direction in terms of like, boy, we're leaning on these windows a lot, or like, I think mm -hmm. you're pumping that too hard. Do you, do you speak up? How do you communicate that with your collaborators in a palatable way? Um, if I feel like uh, this is not heading in the right direction or we're getting lost on a shot. Sometimes the first, first thing to do is to offer to change the shot. You know, it's like keep the pace in the room, keep the momentum. Don't get stuck on a shot for too long because that means we're not on the same page. Just find someone where some other shot where we can all agree on and to set the look and uh, and then roll back to that shot and like, you know, strip down those windows or try again. And once you've done another shot where you, you started from scratch, then you can regrade that shot and say, well, this is the before, this, these are the two options. And, you know, sometimes the, the room will agree and you're like, okay, great. Sometimes you'll, you'll stuck with those 20, 20 layers. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's more about, you know, not not being stuck on, on one shot where everyone's going to, once you have those 20 windows, people feel like, Oh yeah, it's like free for all. Let's go like two, Let's more, go nuts. two more. Let's go nuts. 20 more. So, <laughs> 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 yeah. So you, yeah, it's up to us to kind of say, well, maybe, maybe we should try another shot and see how that applies. And then in, in this way we can also start fresh. Because, you know, most of the time we can, I mean, if you go from 20 windows to 10, most people won't see the difference. It's just because it's the journey you've taken to get there that makes it 20 windows. But you could also start from scratch and without using all the keys, just doing you know, more simple stuff or, you know, having those keys in one in in one layer instead of like multiple directions where where someone say, well, try bring this down and like this blue. And then, you know, it's like you combine all these notes and all of a sudden you have like a, a much easier shot to grade. Yeah. Does it doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. So again, it's like going back to, you know, taking all the notes, understanding what uh, every stakeholder wants from that shot and from us, and then applying that and condense all the notes. And then hopefully uh, you got one, uh, one little layer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, it's not that simple. Sorry. Sorry, Colin. Oh man, come on. I thought, I thought you were going to give me the keys to the kingdom here. Damien. No, no, it's not that simple. Oh man. You can I'm, try that. You know, sometimes you do need the 20 days. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's also just so interesting to me. Like you pointed out something so universal and fascinating to me, which is that like, all of us, uh, astute visual professionals, colorists or directors or, uh, you know, like uh, advertising agency creatives, we all are so prone to getting that tunnel vision. And it's like, man, you can, you can be 10 minutes into a shot and where everybody had good ideas and a, a clear image in their mind's eye of like, I know where this needs to go. 10 minutes in, we can be completely off the rails and doing insane stuff that is never gonna like look or feel right but we all get kind of spellbound. Like, why does that happen? Why, why do we lose our, our bearings so easily? Yeah, again, overcooking, you lose sight. You, um, but a good, good trick too is always taking breaks. You know, it's like, you know, take, a, take a walk. Uh, and in changing shot, it's, it allows you to refresh your eyes. Um, sometimes it's easier to leave, actually leave the room, take a walk and refresh your eyes. And you know, it's easier for us we usually, we can sit for hours in the, in the dark room, but uh, when I go out, I usually also ask my client to, uh, <laughs> to come with me into the kitchen, take a coffee, because it's, it's more for, you know, it's harder for them sometimes to can sit in that dark room and, and keep track of like uh, the direction and having different options. It, it's exhausting, you know, it's like it's a, it's a job where you, in staring at a shot for 10 minutes, you completely lost it. Um, so take yeah. a walk, come back, fresh, fresh eyes and fresh ideas maybe. And yeah, it's, it's, it really is the trick not to, not to overcook things. And again, like if you, if you end up with 20 windows and if there's no other solution, that's fine. We can do it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But if we, if we can avoid it, I think it's usually you end up with a better looking picture with a simpler grade. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, for everyone listening, masterclass level stuff here. I mean, you're talking about something that really has nothing to do with like what you have in your mind as an artist or your ability to execute it on the board, but much more nuanced psychological things like, hey, you guys wanna go grab a coffee for a second? Or like, hey, what if we bounce over to this next shot? Or like a mm -hmm. version of it that I had a mentor share with me years ago of like when you get into that, sort of like stalled out kind of rut place that we're talking about. Hey, why don't we just play this down real quick? Let's see where we're at. Let's get a feeling for the overall, uh, you know, like, like progress that we've made here. Like that's more soft skills, more highly evolved sensitivity stuff that like, I feel like that's what, that's what makes artists of the level that you're at able to perform at that level and what separates you from uh, the, the rest of us who are, you know, we're still trying to figure out like what the right knob is or like, should it look mm -hmm. like this or that? Like there's this whole other universe of just being a good collaborator and a generous, generous collaborator and able to like kindly guide people in the right direction and steer away from trouble. Yeah, exactly. I think not getting stuck on a shot, it's not walking away from it saying, oh, we're not going to grade that shot. It's also, <laughs> you know, getting, getting a fresher uh, perspective on it. It's like you, you, 
you know, you know, you know, it's a trouble one. Let's go back to it. Let's revisit. You know, it's like it's like the hard question on the test. <laughs> like skip the hard question on the test. Come back to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's so cool, man. I have a, another subject I'm so excited to talk to you about, which I, I feel like is becoming more and more important with HDR and and all these uh, different display technologies that are coming out, and that's texture. Uh, like the mm -hmm. the texture of an image. Whether we're talking about probably what most people immediately think of when I say that, which would be grain or thinking about like highlight bloom and things like that. And uh, of course, interested to hear your take on those things. But just in general, how much do you think about the texture of your images and what do you do to uh, sort of control or sweeten that uh, from your position as a colorist? Well, I... Um I usually put a little, little bit of, uh, yeah, texture is like a texture equalizer on, on base light. That's a really awesome tool that I use a lot. Um, oh, don't remind it, me. I, I'm not, I'm not on a base light and that's the number one thing that I, I want from you. I want to steal it from your base light so bad, man. Well, there's some texture stuff in Resolve, isn't there? Yeah, but it's, the, I mean, that texture equalizer is a, is a really, really beautifully engineered tool. Yeah. So ever since that's been available, I, I use that a lot. Uh, and it's, it's quite incredible because it adds that like little micro contrast that sometimes you need to make uh, a shot, just a simple little shot shine, you know, it's like all of a sudden it's like this texture. And also playing that on skin tone can be quite, quite nice, you know, to soften that skin tone just a little bit. Uh, Adding grain was quite a nice um, baseline grain tool. Yeah, when I, whenever, you know, even recently on a show that we, we were playing with, with texture right from the beginning because you, it's, it's an essential part of the picture and uh, you don't want to add that texture in the, at the end in the DI. So that's why sometimes I push for grain to be added on the dailies if that's a vision that everyone's on board with from the beginning you have you have to that, get that on the on the offline as well. Oh, that's a great idea. I mean, the, the, because the we we always have that caveat when we're developing show lots of like, sorry, I can't do texture stuff until we get into the DI. Mm -hmm. in, in your some of your workflows, you've actually designated, hey, let's apply uh, grain when you're cooking the dailies so that everyone's getting bought in and used to seeing that level of texture. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's not something again you can put on the lot or on a CDL. But it's that little side layer that you can still, because we, we do our dailies on, uh, on daylight system, which is also film light. So the dailies colors can apply my, my stack just as easily. And we process that uh, throughout the, the movie. So there's no surprises. And if it's too strong, we can dial back. But at least it's not like it doesn't come as a, you know, oh, let's, let's try this at the end. It's like, you know, the more I think about it, it's like it's, it's really for a filmmaker it's a tough decision to come to terms with adding grain when you have like a week and you've been working on something for months and you know someone throws in oh what if we put that texture on it's like adding like a little layer over everything and you're like oh wow what so yeah. i think that being part of that's beautiful thing about being part of uh, the process so early on when we build the look and we we can also it's easier to make a mistake, maybe. I, I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> but, you know, 
commit to it and then decide not to go because uh, at least you know people have time to to look at it and again it's not i totally understand for someone who hasn't you know even thought about grain and then all of a sudden they get to the di and the cars is all excited oh let's put this film grade on it it's like yeah. no man you know we're not yes it could be good for the project but it's also you know maybe a little too late and you know it's yeah. better to to throw that idea quite early on and, and have that part of the conversation with you know, the whole crew right in the beginning for sure and i i know from uh, you know an another thing that i envy in your base light is there's I, I feel some better sort of uh entry point uh integration of grain into the frame because mm -hmm. that's the other huge aspect of it is depending on how you apply grain and what kind of grade and your blending mode and all that stuff it can feel as you just described like oh you've just slapped a layer on yeah. top of that or it can feel like oh that is innate of this captured image which of course would be uh, I, I would imagine your goal whenever uh, you're thinking about integrating it at that early stage is it should all feel like one, just one characteristic of a whole, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's going back to the stock again. It's like, well, well that stock that we built, uh, it, it, it's a little grainier than the normal stock and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I have more and more DPs experimenting and like pushing the ISO of the Alexa and I think that's something that people want is this, this lack of texture a little bit and with digital capture, everything's got super sleek and super clean. So we always try to, to add, I think it's part of it is nostalgia for film, but it's also this imperceptible grain keeps you, the viewer, it keeps your attention on the screen. And I think uh, it's something about the grain that keeps you looking at, you know, the image, even though you, you may not feel it and you know, don't know it's the grain that makes you do that, but you, you're stuck. I think you look at the screen more because of that like, little element of life. That like dancing yeah. pattern. Yeah, I think so. I'd never thought about that. That makes total sense. Um, God, you, you, man, you just completely derailed me. I had a great question for you and that's, you're, you're blowing my mind with that idea of like it being a, a, a mechanism for engaging and retaining the viewer's eye, even in, yeah. for example, in a static frame where maybe there's little or no camera movement or the talent are, are, are not doing something uh, extreme. That's such a cool idea. Um, oh, my other question will come back to me. And I guess the other th aspect of, of texture uh, that I, I mentioned earlier would be like highlight bloom or halation. Is that something else that you uh, play around with? Yes. Um... Not on every job. It's more like a, sometimes it's also just a shot. You know, you, you have a white shot. You're like, oh, what if we had like halation on that shot? It's like, I don't, it's not something I, I typically like to apply on the, on the whole show. Um, you could, it, it's more like conversation with, you know, would that lens or would that be a film stock or, you know. Yes, you can also experiment with that. It's not like my big, big thing. I think it's more like a shot, shot by shot solution sometimes it's like oh yeah maybe we push that little you know all that highlight bloom on that shot but it's not gotcha. typically something i i would do uh, on the whole show less so less of like a global characteristic yeah yeah yeah, yeah. interesting i know what i was going to ask you about before you you mentioned uh you know the cinematographers rating their sensor off center 
like if, if I come to you and I've got my movie I'm shooting and I'm, I'm lucky enough to have you grading it and I say, hey, Damien, I'm thinking about shooting everything a stop and a half under. What do you think? Like, how would you advise me? What would you encourage me to think about if I'm contemplating that? That's a great go for it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love it. <laughs> um, well, again, it's like, let's, let's test it. You know, it's like, yes, you can do it. I'm sure it's going to be fine, but you know, let's make sure you're fine with the amount of you know, noise that it adds, uh, that everyone's happy with the, you know, lack of detail and, you know, stronger colors. There's arguments for it. Does it match? Does it work with the story? Does it work with that environment? Or is it something that just you want to experiment with? It's also like every, every choice has to be made for the movie. Yeah, I mean, like does, that makes it, does it make sense? Um, and you know, sometimes it's like something on paper that you like, yeah, and you realize that it's maybe not not a great idea, and maybe it's it's better. The solution is to push the shoulder up a little, you know, harder contrasts instead of like under exposing. It's like finding the right combo is all what we do in the loop development. You know, sometimes it's like the TV wants to push one stop, and then you're like, well. Actually, if you shoot that neutral, but I push one stop in, in the grade. So it, it's all you know, solutions like that. We've, we're you know, on another side of the, the spectrum. It's like this, this production and then in post, but the two have to talk to each other constantly. It's like we, we can't, we, I can't grade pictures without you know, someone shooting them. So we, we, yeah. we constantly need to exchange and collaborate with the DPs. Oh, that's the fun stuff, isn't it? Dialing in all of those details. Absolutely. And I, I feel like that's to kind of go full circle to where we started this conversation of, you know, like how we are doing the best, uh, the optimal uh, sort of baton handoff of like the photochemical color timing thing mm -hmm. into the digital era. I feel like the most exciting and the most challenging thing is like, you know, if we think about like, you know, okay, it's 1980 and, and we're going to go shoot our feature. Okay, so let's do 5219 for, you know, whatever, all of our uh, interior work and maybe we'll do some 250D for the exteriors or whatever. And we're going to print it all to whatever was around at the time, a 2383 or something. It's like so many of the characteristics that we're talking about, like how much noise is in the shadows? What's the overall grain? How much highlight bloom is there going to be? What's the contrast ratio? That stuff, like you see it for the first time when you look at the first print and that's what it is, which is like a frustrating lack of control, but it's also, it can be paralyzing to be handed the keys to all those parameters and be like, yeah, well, do we go under a stop in camera or do we have Damien push it after the fact? Or like, is it 50% of that grain or 100% of that grain? Mm -hmm. Like all of those variables, I feel like that's where again, be, being like guides uh, and uh, like supporters to uh, filmmakers in, in conversations like that has become one of the most critical aspects of uh, being a really good colorist today. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it can be a little pressure sometimes, you know, you're like, well, I don't know if I want to <laughs> commit to that, you know, yeah, it's that's like, a lot. Well, why me? <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's, it's always good to, to test it out and make sure everyone's happy with it. Cause you know, it's like, I don't want my opinion to, <laughs> to be too much of a, a game changer for the whole project. It's uh, yeah, for sure. 
Well, I'm, I'm curious now, I want to ask you about, you know, we, we've uh, gotten to talk so much and, and you've given us so many good insights about the craft of color grading and how it's evolved and changed and, and how you see your role and the way you, uh, you know, successfully uh, inhabit it. I want to talk now about kind of the career side of things and about charting a career as a colorist uh, and assuming that like, you know, I'm a, I'm a year one colorist. I'm in it for the long haul. I really want to be doing this. I'm going to commit to cultivating my craft and my eye and all the things that we've been talking about for an hour. What are sort of the companion pieces to that in your mind in terms of like being smart about cultivating a, a really good career? I think part of the things that helped me a lot and um, was to, to be in a learning from other chorists. I think uh, there's part of it, there's a lot of like new chorists that are self-taught and uh, that's, I think that's a very difficult thing to do and to, to know, well, again, all the questions we've talked about, when to stop and stuff like that. And I think by shadowing another chorist or learning from other, other chorists, sometimes you, you end up assisting like two, three, four different chorists and you learn there and you start, you know, that is part of training your eye, but also, you know, seeing how they react in the room. And I think learning from different chorists is also making your opinion on like, how do you want to interact with clients? Because also, you know, shadowing one chorus, sometimes you get also the good stuff and also the bad habits of that chorus. Yeah. So uh, that's something we always did in the, in the companies that worked at where, you know, you have, it's better to have an assistant that rotates the chorus so they know uh, how each, everyone works and also we can learn from every different perspective. Um, I would also say um, doing commercial work was a great help. You know, um, and I, I guess um, be patient because <laughs> it's the long haul, but it's, it, it can, it can be, it can feel like very frustrating when you, you have like, oh, this job is going to make the difference and it doesn't happen. It's like that. How many times did we have that exciting job that, you know, ended up being canceled and oh, like yeah. it, it is, it is, it can be a frustrating job because you're, you know, you're passionate about it and you want to work with such and such and you're super excited and then it doesn't happen or it happens and then no one cares or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it is you know you do that for for the passion first of all I, that's that's my how i see it every every job i'm like super lucky to be doing this job because i love it and you know i take it one job at a time and don't don't have like super crazy goals just just do it and keep that relationship with a dp or a director make sure everyone's happy that's the goal it's like there at the end of every session i want to make sure that my clients are happy and they'll hopefully come back. <laughs> that makes great sense. So look, look for mentors and people who are further down the road than you and stick with it. Yeah. That's kind of the prescription. I'd say so. I mean, it sounds like good advice to me, man. And I, I, I'm actually really excited about the, I feel like just in the last few years, our culture globally in post-production and among colorists is starting to shift toward more of uh, a, a a, an open and collaborative, uh, you know, like environment, even the fact that, you know, like people are going to be able to listen to you talk about, like, you've been so generous and open about, here's how I do my thing. Here's how I grade images. You know, th there's unfortunately, I, I think a bit of a tradition among colorists of being kind of cagey 
like, oh, that's my yes. special secret yeah. sauce, you know? And it, it makes it hard because I, 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 I agree with you so much that like, for me, so many of the key like level ups in my career have come from like sitting next to someone who is better at it than me for long enough to learn a thing or two. But that stuff was harder to come by, I think, like when I was coming up and in less of like a facility, uh, you know, type of like traditional post house environment. But I feel like the culture is starting to shift and, and senior colorists are realizing like, hey, even if I tell you my whole playbook, you're not going to be able to do what I do, but you might be able to do what you do better. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. There's, for a long time, we kept that as a dark art and the lack of mentorship is, you know, not helping us in a way because we're a community and we want to make sure like the new generation can grade just as well as we think we, we can. And it's like, and be better at it. It's like, if you, if everyone is trying to reinvent it, it's, it's not going to help, you know, filmmakers, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's good to be able to train someone up and be, share as much as you can, like your knowledge. Yeah. I don't know if uh, anyone's going to learn anything from what I said for the last hour, but hopefully <laughs> someone will take a lesson. Oh, uh, we've got some, appreciate yeah. it. We've got some nuggets in there, man. Yeah, and, and I want to thank you for uh, contributing toward the positive direction of that trend and uh, sharing your experience and insight uh, and wisdom with uh, all of us. And uh, that's much appreciated. And what a pleasure uh, talking color with you for uh, the last little bit, man. Thanks, Alan. Have uh, an awesome day. Happy grading. And uh, I'm sure we'll cross paths again soon. Yeah, likewise. Thanks again. Right, Have Take a good care. day. Bye-bye.